If you have your Bible, we'll go to Acts chapter 2. And Amory's already gave us kind of an introduction to it there on the day of Pentecost when uh, the church was being established and the gospel was preached there by Peter. And the response to the message that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, just as the scriptures have predicted, is that many of them said, what must we do to be saved? And the answer was repent and be baptized. And I think it's amazing. 3,000 people were baptized that day. I would have loved to have been there to be able to see that, to see the apostles I don't know how they would have done it. I guess they would have broken it up. I remember breaking it down before. You, you want to do the math. Um, divide 3,000 by 12 and how many and who would be baptizing who. And It's just an amazing thing to think about. A very uh, amazing thing to think of. And it's just a great picture for me to think of how the church was established. And the wonder would have been there of hearing that message and seeing so many people come to Christ. So we're going to look at that a little bit more in detail this morning. But before we do that... I encourage you to pray. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we gather in the name of Christ, in the name of your Son. We thank you that we can do that on the first day of the week. We thank you that we can worship you, that we can commune uh, with you and with your Son now through the Lord's Supper. We thank you that we have this avenue and way of prayer to you, that we can give further, Father, to the mission of the church. We thank you for those blessings that we have. We thank you that we can sing and sing praises and give thanks to you. And Father, we ask your blessings upon us now that we listen and that we think and that we open up the scriptures and study the words that you've given to us by the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you for those words. May we take them to our hearts and our minds now. May we use them and apply them. May they change us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this morning we look at the subject of Christian devotion and Christian commitment. When I think about the subject, I think about when those who are first baptized and what's the response. And I think sometimes that uh, we, we teach people the gospel and they hear it and they believe it and they confess their faith and repent of your sins and they, they, they've turned away from those things and they're baptized. But what do they do after that? And sometimes uh, people get lost and maybe they forget. Maybe sometimes we forget what it was supposed to look like, what it looked like for the first Christians when they were baptized and how they were involved in the church. I think about this myself and I think what we're going to look at here is something that encourages us all in certain areas of church life that we want to make sure that we're tied in, that we're involved, that we're, we look like the church in the very beginning. I want to. Because when I read that picture there in Acts chapter 2 verses 41 to 47, I said that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way the New Testament church is to look. There's the love there. There's the fellowship. There's the worship. There's everything there that's just amazing about being in the church. And if you're here this morning, you've made a great decision because we want to, as Christians, be a part of that body. I remember growing up as a kid thinking about, I, I thought, there's no other place I want to be and no other family I, I often needed. When my family, when my parents divorced, it felt like my whole family was breaking apart. And my mom went this way and my dad went this way. And, and I'm trying to figure out where to go. And I thank God that I had my church family. I had to lean on them and rely upon them in those hard times. And so when we were singing that song earlier that Garland led about God's family, I, I was thinking, that's, that's right. In the hardest and most difficult times, I have... I have mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers in Christ that are there beside me to encourage me and be there. So I think another question, again, when we look at Acts 2 on the regards to baptism is what do you do after baptism? 
After you become a Christian, what does it look like? And so we get a great picture here in Acts 2. So let's go on and read our scripture this morning for exposition. So this will not be on the screen in Acts chapter 2. And we'll read verses 41 to the end of the chapter. And it says this, So those who received his word, Peter was preaching there, they received his word, and he had told them what to do, to repent and be baptized. He says they were baptized. They received it. They were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then listen to this, verse 42. And they devoted themselves. Now, if you have New King James, it says they continued steadfastly. They set themselves. They committed themselves. All those would be great ways to translate the word there. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And they devoted themselves, what else? To the fellowship. And the Greek word for fellowship there, koinonia, it means the sharing, participation, everything that the Christians have together. And you get a great picture of that throughout the book of Acts. And especially right here. And then it says, to the breaking of bread. So there's an article there, the breaking of bread, which we just partook of. They were devoted to it. To the prayers. Verse 43, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. There's the common meals. Breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love that description of the church. And there we see so many great things about what it means to be a part of the church and a part of the family. And after baptism, I think sometimes we might think, well, if I'm just here at this time, that, that's all I need to do. Um, you know, and to a certain extent, I can, I can understand that. But we want to look at these scriptures and allow them to challenge us. And the first thing we see here again is that we're devoted. We devote the self to God. We devote ourselves to God. We're committed to Him. And we just read there to the breaking of bread, to the apostles' doctrine. We want to learn. We want to be taught. We want to know what God's Word is. We want the fellowship of being together with brethren. And so it's great that we do these things. Another thing that stands out is that the apostles were doing these wonders. They're doing miracles. And the people were recognizing this. And it says that they were in fear and they were in awe of what God was doing. They recognized it. They saw it. And I think that's something that we want to do more today, and especially in the church, is recognize when we see God doing great things in our life. We need to share that. And I don't think it's boasting to boast of the Lord in the sense of boasting in ourselves. We want to boast of the Lord. The Bible tells us that in 2 Corinthians. We need to do that all the time. Recognize God's work. Talk about what He's doing. Talk about the people that we study with, those that we've been able to pray with, the encouraging things that have happened in our family. Maybe a relative, whether they're in the church or not, has been baptized. or Great things have happened. We need to talk about that more and recognize God's works in our life. We need to make sure that we're continually giving to those who are in need. Now imagine here in Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching, and a number of them, they're, again, they're Jewish, and they're leaving essentially their synagogues to be joined in the Christian movement. Is there going to be a cost to that? I imagine some people are going to lose their trade and their income. They're going to break ties with family over this. 
There's going to be distress over it. People are going to be in need. They need to be taken care of. And we want to make sure that, especially looking at the way the world is going today, that whenever someone has to lose their occupation or things get tough in their life or whatever it might be, that we're there to be able to provide for them to give to those who are in need. And I think this congregation does a good job of that. We might be able to do a better job, and I definitely think so. But we want to continue to look at those things. So as, as we look at the church here, wonderful things are happening. And as anybody had need, they were willing to sell what they have and give to them. Other thing that stands out here is that they were daily spending time together. They were eating together. They were worshiping God together. They had a commitment. It, it was a family. There was a friendship there. I mean, why else do you worship with somebody and eat with someone? Why would you do that? Well, you must like them. You must be close to them. You must hold similar values to them. So, and you should. And so we see this with these Christians. They were committed to being together, to doing these things together, to eating together. And there's a blessing in that. And I thank God that we do that, that we gather together. And so today, we're going to eat together. And that's a blessing to be a part of. And then we see here the result. And this is at the beginning and the end. And I put it up there in verse 41 and then 47 because you've got this kind of structure here where Peter, uh, or the writer Luke is emphasizing this, but what happened as a result of Peter's preaching is that they devoted themselves to recognize God. They were given to those their needs. They were worshiping and eating together. And all this gave an increase in God's blessing, that the gospel spread and that people were added in numbers and they began to continue to grow. We want that. I got kind of a picture here and a, and a chart of what is happening here. I was trying to, to picture in my mind of what's going on, but when we look at what the church looks like and we think about our own devotion and our commitment to Christ, to His body, to His people, to God's people, what should it look like? And I think we got a great picture here in Acts chapter 2. If someone were to come to me and say, okay, I've been baptized, now what? And I would say, okay, I'm, this is what Jesus actually says. He says, be when you're baptized, he says, go make disciples. And then he says, baptizing them and then teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That's in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. And so it makes sense that the first thing we're going to say is you need to devote yourself and continue to be studying, committed to God's word, committed to the fellowship and to prayers in the church, to the breaking of bread. And that is fundamental. When you become a Christian, you need to do that. And it's for your own good. There's so many great wonderful blessings that come from it. We want to recognize God's work. So sometimes we might close our eyes and think, well, I've been baptized and that's it. And we go back to our old friends and old way of life. No, we need to see God at work in every part of our life. Recognize what he's doing. Trust in him because when we do that, it increases our faith. And as we've noted before, we give to those in need. We worship together. So it just gives a good picture right there and how we have an increase in God's blessing. And I think when we do these things and we look like this, like the first century church, God gives those wonderful blessings we read in Acts chapter 2. So why is the depiction of the church? Why is this that we just read here about the early church in the book of Acts? Why put it there? And someone might say, well, these aren't commands. No, there's not a command here. It just tells you the response to becoming a Christian, to being baptized, to having all your sins washed away is that you're going to respond and you're going to be a part of a new community and a new family. You're going to be committed to this. And so you've got an example here. And I, and I love that in the Bible where you have a precedent that is set. Where it's not a, 
a hardline command. It's just like, this is what happens when you understand and when you believe with all your heart, when you've been baptized, when you've repented of your sins, life changes. Everything changes. So that depiction in the Bible of the church in Acts chapter 2 is so encouraging to me. When I look at it, I always think that's how it should be. And then I look, what should I be doing? Have I, have I, have I given up on any part of this and neglected it? And I want to pray about it and commit myself to going back to it. There's great, wonderful things that come from us eating together and worshiping with one another. So we think about this and a little bit further. Do we eat with God? You ever thought about it that way? Well, we do in the communion when we're breaking bread together. Remember 1 Corinthians 10 says we're communing, we're participating with Christ. We're communing and having fellowship with, with Christ when we partake of the Lord's Supper. When we eat the bread and we drink the cup. And that's an amazing thing to think about. I think about those things. Here's God, the Creator of everything. And then Christ, God come in the flesh who's died for me, who died for my sins, who resurrected from the dead. And I can have, not, not to, as a cliche, but I can have a re relationship with Him. I can have a fellowship with Him. And I do that, and essentially, an essential part of it is in the breaking of the bread. So they ate together. They were breaking bread, but they, they spent time together as well from house to house. And so both of those things, both in the gathering of the whole congregation and from house to house. And how should Christians, how do we commit ourselves to this? So as we've talked about already, Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 tells us what it means to be a devoted Christian. We see what, it, what, it, what it's there for. And so we have this great model of the first church, and it's meant to encourage us. And it's meant to encourage Christians now. And I hope no one goes to that scripture and says, well, that can't happen today. Well, the church can't look like that now. You know, or for someone to say, you know what I need? I just need this and this from the church. And, and I sometimes hear people come to the church and think the church is to give me these things. And I want this, this, and this. And no, it's, it's more of a community where we're all giving, right? We're all giving to those who are in need. And so when I hear that, that that's when I start seeing these, those kind of churches that come up where we're going to give you the worship for you. We're going to do it on your behalf. We're going to make a, even a show out of it. We're going to give you um, teaching that's based on pop psychology and you know, about your self-esteem and things like that, rather than just teaching the Scriptures and being committed there. Uh, we're going to tell you things in regards to how you can better do business with others. You know, that's great if it's coming out of the Bible, if the principles are coming from there. But some of the sermons, the messages that are being taught in, in churches, it's, just, it's not being committed to the Apostles' Doctrine. It's being committed to something else. It's, it's making the church into a self-help group or a, a, a staff of people who serve others as though it's some kind of community center. We want to avoid that. Yeah, we are a community, but we see here that it takes every one of us devoting ourselves when we become a Christian. This is God's plan. This is Christ's plan. Back in March, we had uh, a message where we talked about getting the most out of life and having joy in life and what we can do to increase in that. We talked about Solomon and how he had everything. He could buy everything. He could do everything that he wanted to do. And in the end, there's a number of passages throughout the text that tells us where we have joy in life, real joy. 
But as I'm thinking about this and reading Acts 2, all I could think about was what Solomon said here in Ecclesiastes. These everyday parts of life where we have joy, this is what the church looks like as a body, as Christians spending time together. So I read passages like this, Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 13. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And so God has put these things within us, and then he says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful. He says, nothing better. You pursue God, and you, you can come to know Him, and you can trust in Him, and God's got beauty for everything in every in every part in time, and he's put eternity in our heart, and he says the best thing is to be joyful. How so? And to do good as long as they live. And also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. And that is God's gift to man. And it's true. You think about that. What, what gives you the most joy in life? I think it's when I get to be with family, when I get to eat with others, when we have that fellowship with one another. We want that involvement, that commitment, and that devotion in the church. When we labor together, when we work together, we read that throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, that you take joy in the work that you do, because this is God's gift to man. And I see it in the way which we, what we've been given in having the church. So, you know, I, and I've heard this question, why should I be doing in the church? Uh, why should I be active in the church? What things should I have a part in? And I think we got a good summary of it uh, this morning. But I think we need a, the motivation behind it. We need to continue to see these blessings that come apart, that come from being in the church. As I was thinking about this and I was looking over Acts chapter 2, I was thinking that just needs to be up there as a chart or something. And, you know, oftentimes we'll have, for instance, we got those little cards out here that tell you the plan of salvation, how to be saved. You need to hear, you need to believe, you can either confess your faith, you need to repent, you need to be baptized, you need to live faithfully. Well, what does it mean to live faithfully? Why would I want to do that? What, what, what part does that have for me? And so we see those blessings here. We see here that as Christians, we have the church, we have a community. And it's not just any community, they're devoted to God. Committed to God. There's no other body of people who's going to keep you more focused and directed and have that main purpose. And so hopefully our family is a part of that grand family, the family and the body of Christ. And so as a church, we have friends and family now in the church as a congregation who have the same faith and the same values that we do. You think about that? You know, when I turn on the news and I, or I turn on TV, I don't see the values that are in the Bible, that Christ has given, what He's taught. I don't see much of that at all. But I do have it among my fellow brethren, among those who believe in Jesus, who believe in the Scriptures, who listen to His words, who follow the apostles' teaching and are devoted to it. And where else are you going to find that? What, what, what happens to someone when they leave that behind and they separate them church? The book of Hebrews warns about that. The whole text is written saying, don't move away from Christ. Don't move away from the church. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And he says, if you move away, he says, there's devastating effects. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 tells us that. That you're risking your own soul, your life, an everlasting life. And that you will, when you 
do that and you disconnect from the church, you will struggle with your faith. You will struggle with skepticism and doubt. You might even leave it and give it up. And we don't want to do that. I think another great thing about the church is that it counters the epidemic of loneliness. I was reading an article the other day about as men get older now in our society, they get more and more detached and they have less and less friends. And I heard tragic stories of men who've just passed away when there was no one to care for them. They had no friends and there's no one else around them. And I think about the great blessings that we have, no matter where you are and the, the way the world is today, a lot of people are struggling with loneliness. It doesn't matter how connected we are on the internet or how many more people we might know, who's clicking on whatever and, and liking whatever we might post on social media. Um, what does that mean? And yet, even though we have these different ways to connect with one another, there's an epidemic of loneliness. People are, are being married and feel lonely. Um, they feel like there's no one that they can share themselves with, that they can talk to, have no other relationships. Um, so I think even though today it seems like people would be in some ways more connected, they're not. And I think with the reaction to um, COVID-19, a lot of people are distancing themselves. So that thing, that, that part of loneliness there, and I, and I see it in the scriptures. When I think about Elijah and his loneliness, and God says, I will bless him and gave him Elisha as a young man that he would train to be a prophet after him. He was devastated. He thought he was the only one. And God says, no, I've preserved some. I've got 7,000 still left who are following me. But we need the church. We need the family. It counters that. And we think about those blessings. You have a group of people who want to help you when you're in need, who want to pray for you, who want to hold you accountable. We need that. I need that. And it's so... As we go through the scriptures, we see the blessings of what it is to be a part of the church. How should we value the church? I think a lot of people don't value God's people and the church as much as they should. If they would, they would, they would be more involved. And I think if they under, just understood and saw what Christ was doing when he died on the cross, they would understand that. That Jesus said that he came to build his church. We need to value the church the way that Christ did. And what did Jesus say? He said, and I tell you, you are Peter. He's talking to Peter in regards to Peter's confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ. And he says, on this rock, on your confession, on your faith, he says, I will, and that is the faith of everybody, I will build my church. That's the basis of the church is the faith that Jesus is the Christ. And he says, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. It will not die. It will not cease. It will not disappear. And so the church will not, not go away. But do we value the church in the way that Christ does. He says, I will build it. And that was a part of his mission in coming. We read this in Acts 20 and verse 28. Paul says, as he's preaching to the elders there from, from Ephesus, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. He warns them about the wolves that are coming in. And he says to these elders, he says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You're overseers. Your job is to care for the church. And he says this about the church, which he obtained with his own blood, or which Christ obtained the church, he purchased the church, he bought the church with his own blood. Jesus died on the cross to have and establish his own people. First Peter is all about this, teaching us that that's why Jesus died, so that those faithful people 
are there as a community. And Jesus died for that. Do we love the church in the way in which Christ does? Ephesians 5.25 even says a little bit further, it says there that Christ laid down Himself, himself died for the church. Ephesians 5.25. We need to value it. And I remind you again this morning of the mission of the church. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And we come to serve. And how do we do that? We go and we are to make disciples. Go therefore make disciples of all the nations is what Christ told his disciples. And then he tells them, you're going to carry on this command to the next generation. And it's going to be perpetual. That's what the church is about. I think a lot of people have strange ideas about the purpose of the church. But it's very clear what its, what its job is. It's to make disciples. To make believers. To make Christians and he says, how do you make them? He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That is our mission. That is what we are to be about, is making disciples, making Christians. So we have these gifts from God. And the church is a gift from God. But you yourself have certain abilities. And the Bible talks about this in Romans 12. They list them. And if you're thinking this morning, I don't know what I can do or what I can be active in or how I can be involved in the congregation, you open up your Bible right now to Romans chapter 12 and you look in verses 6 through 8 and you look at what is there, what God has given you as a gift and what the Scriptures have to say, because I'm not going to read that for you. I'm going to leave that to you to read Romans 12, 6 through 8. And you see there, there are some that he says there who have mercy. That's their gift, is that they see someone who's in need. Maybe they're struggling with an addiction, going through hard times. They need compassion and mercy. They're there. There are those who are just about encouragement. You know, someone might say, where is my place? Well, if you're great at encouraging, you have a gift that God wants you to use in the mission of the church and of Christ. And we can talk more about that. But how does your individual growth affect the growth of the church? How would, how would you think about that? You know, if we all were coming here and we weren't reading our Bibles and we weren't praying, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to the congregation? What's going to happen to the community around us? I think we need to think about this and continue to examine ourselves and make sure that we're doing what we need to do. I want to finish this morning with this passage right here, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. It's my favorite scripture on, on the church growing together and... And I might quote it too much, but I'm going to do it again. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. Paul says, rather speaking the truth in love, that's what we're doing, that's our mission. We are to grow in every way into him who is the head. We're to grow in every way in Christ, into Christ. He says, for whom the whole body, that's the church, is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So in these things, when I, when I read Acts 2 this morning, I see love and I see a community based in Christ, based in His example. So let's not forget that. Let's not set the church aside and let's not forget our commitment and devotion. Let's be like the church was in the very beginning and let everybody do their part. In Acts chapter 17, Paul says, God's not far from each one of us. So we encourage you this morning, if you're seeking God, He's not far from you. He's given you life and breath and everything. And He commands everybody to repent 
because he has a day in which he will judge humanity. He's going to judge. And he's going to judge with righteousness through, and that is through a man, Jesus Christ, whom he resurrected from the dead. So we encourage you this morning, if you haven't obeyed the gospel and if you haven't confessed your faith in Christ and repented of your sins and be baptized with Christ to be raised in the newness of life, have all your sins washed away, we encourage you this morning, you can come forward and you can do that. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you. Whatever your needs are this morning, you find somebody here. If you have a struggle in your life and you need prayers, uh, you can come speak to me or one of our elders and we will pray with you. Do everything we can to encourage you. Let's all stand and sing together.